Hi, all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we're going to be chatting about young life and uh, specifically being a survivor of abuse uh, within the Young Life Ministry um, with Aaron Watts of At Me To Young Life. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good. So this good. is this is a conversation I I saw your your Instagram and I was like it hit me that I don't think I've ever talked about on the podcast that my assault was at Young Life. <laughs> I I realized I don't think I've ever included that part of my story and I've talked about my uh, assault so many times. I've been assaulted twice and I've talked about both assaults many times. And I don't, I don't think I've ever included that detail. And so when I saw your page, oh I was like, I was like, Ooh, this is like, not only like hits home for me, but also is like very relevant to like the context of my story. And so with that being said, if you're listening to this episode, we wanted to give a trigger warning up front. So we are going to be talking about sexual abuse and emotional abuse and just kind of abuse in general. I'm going to be talking a little bit about my sexual assault. Um, a lot of that that will probably come up is purity culture and the toxicity of like evangelical Christianity. And so if you have um, sensitivity around that and you don't want to hear about it right now, no worries. But I wanted to just give that up front, even without editing this episode, I know what we're going to talk about. So I know that it probably will be triggering for some people. Um, but I wanted to give Aaron a little bit of a chance to share your background and specifically your page at Me Too Young Life, because that whole, the obviously the Me Too movement brought up a lot, a lot, a lot of abuse from every facet of life, period. Um, but specifically the kind of like do better church movement and then the Me Too movements with specific churches and Me Too Hillsong and all these different things that are kind of coming out. Young life abuse has been talked about so much more in the past two years than it ever has been. So how did that all get started for for you and your platform? Yeah, I think um, for me, honestly, it was a collective decision. Like it wasn't just me on my own, but I had experienced um, sexual harassment in young life, and I can go into share more about that. But just as an overview, um, I left staff. It's a little over a year ago now. It um, was in June 2021 when I left um, due to just like mishandling. And I had just hit the point like emotionally and just mental health wise and everything that it was like this, I can't do this anymore. I have to leave for my own well-being. And so after taking some time to just like kind of unwind from all of that, because as I as I stepped away, I realized there were like so many other issues. And I said, I've just felt like a carcass of myself, like just like nothing left. Um, then I started to just look around and be like, is there anyone else? Like, I can't be the only person because I had seen this go pretty much up as far as it could, as far as like trying to get them to take action. Um, and just, yeah, it was, it, it was a lot of gaslighting and just um, being put through the ringer. And so I was like, have there has to be more and so I just started looking like on Instagram and looking up even hashtag me Too young life just just to see if there was something and that was when I came across Becca Wong's post and she um was a student at 
I think it was University of Michigan. Forgive me if I'm saying it wrong, Becca, but I'm pretty sure. Um, and there, her friend had been assaulted and she was um, a young life leader and her friend had been assaulted by a young life leader as well. And so she stood up for her friend and all these things and eventually just got like excommunicated from the group. And so she had shared probably like a year before about her experience. And that was the only thing I could find that had some form of me too young life. I think it might've just been that whole thing. And I'm like, Oh my God, there's someone else. So I messaged her and then she replied back kind of being like, Hey, there's an opportunity actually to take this further. There's a group of us who are interested in taking further action. And I was like, whoa, like that's that's too much. I think like, I don't know, you know, and I, I think I ghosted her for a little while and then she messaged me again. She's like, hey, I'd love to talk to you, hear a little bit more, see where you're at. And from there, that's where I connected with her and then connected with another group um, of survivors who had all had some form of abuse experience in young life. And um, that's kind of how that formed into the Me Too Young Life group. Yeah. And with that all being said, I want to start with, I'll, I'll start with this question and then, and then we can maybe go into our backgrounds. Um, but first off, why did you guys choose the format that you did of the submission based posts? Cause if, if you look at your, if anyone goes and looks at, at me too young life, like it is primarily just people having space to tell their stories, period. Um, and it's just firsthand accounts of those stories of them sharing their experiences. So why did you guys choose that format? The reason we chose, um, that base, like of just like, um, submission based format was really because, um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I think for one thing, it's a huge risk to share about abuse you've experienced, um, and so to be able to even just share your story and, um, you know, it'd be anonymous and things like that, even if you're like, please don't post it. Like we have an option for that. Like, do you want to share the story? And you can say, you know, I do not give you permission to share in any capacity. And that's fine. We respect that. And just being able to speak out your story is so empowering. Um, and to be able to do that without risk, I think was like important to all of us. At the same time, there were a few other things, one being the do better young life who had, you know, started their, I guess, movement, we'll say about a year before. And that was in regards to young life's, um, just anti LGBTQ plus support, you know, and homophobia and, uh, those, those theological standpoints that were very exclusionary of that group of people do better young life had used that same kind of format. So honestly, they paved the way for a lot of what we did. And we are like, let's follow that because we know that path works and um, we're not, we want change, but what we really want is to give people an opportunity to be heard Um and I had seen countless times of other stories of other people that were anonymous. And that's what helped me. That helped me realize the abuse I'd, I'd been going through even before I came back again at Young Life. And that's a longer story. But that that was what gave empowered me to be like, this is wrong. I have to say something. So I think all of that combined. Yeah. And it's a 
a good point to to give credit where credit's due in terms of the do better movement because I know that a lot of that kind of I believe kind of originated with Joe Lumen and the do better church page um which I do think that that's kind of I know it's a slightly controversial platform of not, not her platform, but the, the format of using the submission based posts, because people will come at her and come at other pages similar and say, okay, but like you have no proof. You're just like letting people say whatever they want to say. And I think the thing that's so tricky about that is nine times out of 10, you're not going to have proof. Like there isn't going to be tangible, hard, like paperwork that shows Mm -hmm. an actual like list of evidence. Like a lot of the time, like, and that's why abuse is obviously so cyclical. It's so hard to, to stop. And it's so hard to like intervene because the justice system is based on evidence. And a lot of the times abuse doesn't provide evidence. And so I think the thing I've had people call me out, um, even in personal things in my life where if I find out that a friend comes to me, a family member comes to me, whatever, and says, hey, this person was abusive to me, my number one response is, okay, I believe you. And that's like a controversial thing for a lot of people because the idea of just blindly placing faith in someone is is difficult and kind of scary because it's like, yeah. well, what if what if that's not accurate? What if it's not correct? My standpoint on that has been, I won't say always, because my standpoint was not this prior to me reporting my own assault and going through my own Mm -hmm. actual investigation and having people not believe me and like going through that whole thing and having the human experience of that, which I think a lot of the times empathy, it sprouts from human experience. And so I won't say that was always my take, but ever since I went through my own investigation, my take on the whole belief survivors first has just been, I would much rather believe a survivor and find out that they're lying down the road than accidentally believe an abuser. I would much rather accidentally believe a false accusation than choose to believe an abuser. Like always, always. Because this it's also a controversial take, but in my opinion, as someone who has like gone through and I had, I remember when I first like publicly announced that I had gone through my investigation, I had someone be like, well, what if it's a false accusation? Like, what about his life? And I was like, here's the thing, like false accusations could potentially fuck up your career. They can fuck up, you know, your, your reputation, whatever. However, if you compare assault to false accusation, the ramifications of those don't even come near to each other. Assaults, are so much more pervasive through your entire life. Like you're living with the flashbacks of that for forever. And that's, it's, that's, it's not the same thing. And, and yeah. I'll die on that hill. <laughs> like, it's true. So. Like somebody coming back from a, you know, a false accusation, let's just say hypothetically, they are going to like, they're going to be fine. And even people yeah. that are actually <laughs> like, factually you know there's evidence and all these things about them being a perpetrator of abuse they're still fine and something else i would add to this and this was something that like i really i push back a lot when people try to come at me with that is that it's like no you know the the rhetoric a lot is like oh they're doing this for attention or something like that and i'm like this is maybe it's a generalization but it's like nobody wants that kind of attention like that's so hard and so if someone's coming out and saying hey this person did this thing to me 
it's like they're most likely telling the truth. And even I don't know, like I just I think it's like, why would we base it on all the potential of it not being true when, like you said, like the ramifications of it being true are so much more significant. And so I just think that's like you never want to that mentality needs to go. It's like if that's the mentality, you need to challenge that and be able to let that go. Because most times, like, I I didn't speak out for so long because of that. Because I'm like, I don't want to get drugged through the mud. Like, I don't want people to say, oh, well, she's, you know, uh, whatever, you know, fill in the blank. Oh, you were asking for it. Oh, well, why would you talk to them for so long? Why didn't you stop? Et cetera, et cetera. Like, nobody wants that. No. And I, I think that the, on the same, like, side of the coin of saying – they don't want the attention simultaneously like they're if you're not doing it and even if and this is even if you are doing it with a legal perspective and you're reporting it to the law you still have so much more to lose than you have to gain but yeah. with anonymous platforms like this where you're submitting submissions that literally like it's anonymous like nine times mm-hmm. out of ten is anonymous you're not no one is gonna like uh, you're not gaining followers. You're not gaining money. Right. You're not gaining – like you're not getting anything from it. And like the yeah. thing that blows my mind that I think very much so speaks to just the society in general's um, misunderstanding of what survivorship is and how it impacts your life is that in like investigating and coming forward was 10 times more traumatic for me than the abuse itself. Oh, yeah. And so I agree. I didn't get, I didn't gain anything from that. Like my abuser got kicked out of my college. Woohoo. I then had to deal with panic attacks. I was having seizures because of my anxiety. I was, my hair was falling out in clumps. I wasn't eating. Like I was like suicidal. Like there was just like so many things that it was like, Ooh, yay. Like I got attention. Like, no motherfuckers. Like, that's not what I did this for. Like, in what world would you trade like this? Yeah. Like in what world do you trade like seizures and like suicidal ideations and like medical problems for like a little sliver of attention? It's like, no, this was, this was trauma on trauma on trauma. So I, I always, I think that that, that perspective, I always have thought that it just, I don't know. I think it comes from ignorance. I also think it comes from society and the world's uh, disdain and indifference for survivors because I think if you really wanted to not be ignorant, there are enough resources to not be ignorant at this point. So I think it just comes down to the fact that society likes to – society abandons survivors a lot of the time. And mm, yeah, like it, it, if you wanted to educate yourself, like there are methods to do so and there are really accessible methods to do so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As I say, Google is free. Like, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, um, I don't know if this is like fair to say, but I think something like and on our platform, most of the most of the submissions are, you know, um, anonymous. They're not naming names most times. Mm-hmm. And there is like a like I've seen I've seen the impact and the pattern of the abuse. And so I just like like I don't know if this is like discrediting, but it's like if one story is like someone's like worst case scenario, someone's telling a lie or it's like their exaggerated version of it, which I think that even that mentality is like wrong. I don't agree with that. But it's right. like the other ones are true. 
And so yeah. there's a good chance this probably happened anyways, because I've seen it happen. So I don't know. I just think that's the wrong problem. Yeah. How do you have that many people like collectively lying about something? Like yeah. if that's, if that's genuinely just like the most, if, if everyone is lying, this is the most elaborate fucking like Ponzi scheme shit in yes. the whole world. Like this is yeah. like, this is top tier level organization. Like if this, <laughs> like, like that's, if that, yeah, if that really is the case, that's wild. <laughs> And if it really was a lie, like, they would have shut us down by now. But hmm, we out here, so, you know. Well, and even the anonymous submissions, like, you're still taking a risk. I made an anonymous submission Mm -hmm. to Do Better Church, to Lumen's page, about some Mm -hmm. church uh, harassment that I experienced. And I named the church. And I kind of went back and forth about whether I wanted to name the church. I I, shit you not, it got posted, and I my phone was blowing up and I ended up having someone calling me and go off on me. And like, I felt really uncomfortable. I ended up deleting, I I DM'd Joe and was like, can you please delete it? And Joe was like in contact with the pastor of the church and he was harassing her. Like it was just like a whole thing. Oh my God. And I, I, it was anonymous, but like basically I gave like enough detail that the people at the church were able to figure out it was me. And I full blown like panicked and like, like took it down. I was like sending voice messages back and forth with Joe and being like, like crying and just being like, I don't know what to do. Like I I thought I was like doing something good. Like I don't know what happened. And their whole basis of being frustrated was that I didn't give the entire context. And the thought, the thought process behind that is we're talking Instagram slides. Like if I give the whole context of me being at the church for the entire entirety of me being at the church, we're going to talk, we're talking like 50 fucking slides. Like that's not realistic. And so, and I even took, took responsibility for the fact that I was like, maybe I should have included more context. Like maybe I wasn't, maybe this wasn't as accurate as I thought it was. Like, I don't know. Like maybe I, maybe I fucked up. Like, and I took it down because I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't ever want to like misrepresent like people coming forward about abuse and harassment. So like, if that was on me, then that was on me. And (sighs) Joe was just like, just so you know, like this shit happens all the time. Like we have people come to us all the time and harass people and they have enough details where they figure out who it is and they harass people and they they bully them into taking it down and it's it's it happens a lot and she was like yeah just so you know like it that doesn't mean that what you experienced wasn't valid i obviously like will 100 mm. percent respect you if you would like to take it down like i'm i'm here to support you i'm not here to like create drama i'm just here to give right. you guys a space to talk and to share your stories. And like, if this story is causing you more stress than it is healing it being up, then like, let's take it down. And, Uh, um, but even then it's like, it was anonymous. Like I didn't, like, I, I didn't name, I think I named the pastor's name, but he wasn't even the pastor who did the harassment. He was just the pastor of the church. Um, so it was just kind of like the church name. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, and it's, it was a smaller church and I had people just like, I literally had someone scream at me on the phone for almost 30 minutes. Scream at me. That's crazy. I'm sorry. I know I don't want to use that word, but that's just like wild behavior. Like why? Yeah. And it's wild that people get more mad than, you know, at the person speaking out than they do that the abuse actually happened to begin with. And that's something that like has never sat right with me, but mm-hmm. I have changed. Like, like you said earlier, like I didn't always have the same perspective, but knowing people who have been through things, being through things myself, it does change things. But even in the past, like 
if there was something that made me upset, like, oh, they're misrepresenting this, like, I would just keep it to myself and kind of process through it and then kind of be like, yeah, but you know, that was really messed up what happened to them. So good for them for telling. Like, it's just like, just keep it to yourself. Like, if you don't like it. We're we're also talking, it was almost a year and a half after I had, I hadn't been to that church, spoken to any of those people for almost a year and a half. And uh, 90% of them were blocked on Instagram and I forgot to block one number. And so that number was the number where I got the phone call and just got berated for like 40 minutes. Um, And yeah, so I, it, 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 once again, like there's, and I want to get that whole false accusation bullshit out of the way first, because I know for a fact that if, if we don't address that, that there will be someone who will bring up the false accusation point and will try to make it seem like that is like the most rational and logical argument that has ever existed. And it's not. Yeah. And coming like – and it's one of those things at the same time where I've been through an investigation. I've reported one of my assaults. I haven't reported the other one. The one that I reported is the one that is the primary source of my trauma because of the report, because of the investigation. Yeah. Like that's the part that fucked me up. And so I also know that if there's someone listening who that is their – that's the hill they die on is that like false accusations are like really prevalent – you you don't care about survivors anyways and so hearing my story isn't going to change your perspective on that because the right. i don't need to convince you don't, you. you you don't care <laughs> like you don't care so i You're say not that my target audience <laughs> no no so i say that while also knowing that there's a very good chance that if there is anyone listening like my little soapbox argument is not going to change your opinion and like fuck whatever mm-hmm. i don't care but yeah. i want to get into kind of our background with abuse sure. in young life and then we can get into what is young life and kind of some of the manipulation that I think is very built into the mm. core of young life. Um, yes. So I'll I'll give a slight context on my experience with young life. Um, and if you my my survivor story is up, if people want more context on my actual the entirety of my assault experience, um, I, I was assaulted twice: once in 2015, once in 2017. Um, 2017 was at college, totally separate. Uh, that was the one that I went through the investigation. 2015 was um, at a Young Life club, and it wasn't by a Young Life leader. So it wasn't something where there was a position of power, someone that was involved in Young Life that then mm-hmm. abused me. It was a fellow student. Um, and basically, there was a student who um, – uh, was like three years older than me. I was like 15 and he was almost 18. Um, and expressed interest in me like the second he saw me. And, um, I had been going to young life on and off for maybe a year before that. I think I started going like my freshman year of high school. Um, I went to a really conservative Christian, uh, school and fun fact about Christian schools, young life isn't on Christian schools. Like they don't have young life clubs at like private Christian schools. And so I went to a church that was attached to my school and a lot of my friends that went to the church were involved in Young Life. And so I got invited to the Young Life club at a local high school, like a public high school that I did not go to that school, but I started attending their Young Life club. And Mm -hmm. I would attend on and off for probably like three years, kind of back and forth. But basically I started like a flirtationship, whatever. It was like when you have a thing with someone in high school with this this older kid who expressed interest in me pretty quick. 
And um, I set some boundaries and um, we ended up like not like not really doing anything, kind of just separating and like just, you know, whatever. There wasn't a breakup. We weren't dating, but like just kind of fell out. And then um, we reached back out. I actually reached back out to him because I was going through like a mm-hmm. depressive episode. I had gained a lot of weight and was feeling like my my body image. I was suffering from an eating disorder that was undiagnosed and my mm-hmm. body image was in the trash can. And so I felt really ugly and I reached out to him for sexual validation for me to feel better about myself. And my idea of sexual validation was like making out. That was my idea. I was a virgin. I had never like had any type of sexual experience besides literally making out with someone. And I set boundaries really quick off the bat via text saying, I'm not going to do this, 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 and this, and made it extremely clear. And we ended up meeting up after a young life club, right after outside of the high school by the dumpsters and like making out and fooling around. And next thing you know, he is crossing every boundary that I'd already set. And, um, I didn't think it was, I remember feeling very violated and uncomfortable, but like, didn't, I had no consent education because I came from a really Christian Mm -hmm. background. I had no assault education, um, grew up in purity culture. And so like, obviously like the first emotion was shame. (laughs) It wasn't like anything else besides just feeling like trash. And I also, it was right next to the dumpsters. So that made me, it was a very like ironic, like, I feel like trash. I buy trash. Like this is awful. This is trash. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't, I didn't realize uh, how much it affected me. And I got home and I was sore and I was bleeding and I was like, okay, so this probably isn't great, but I felt super ashamed. Like didn't talk about it, uh, inform my parents, but didn't inform them that it was not consensual. Cause I didn't even know what consent was. I just kind of informed them that I fucked up and like fooled around. Yeah. And I kind of got banned from Young Life because of my my parents were like, well, you're not going anymore because like this kid is oh, like, oh. you know, we don't want you to like fuck around with this kid. And it wasn't because they thought he was dangerous. It was because they didn't want me to have sex. Um, yeah. And once again, I did not clarify with them that it was non-consensual. They were not aware until years later. Um, and I didn't know it wasn't consensual. And I ended up taking right. a break from Young Life for a while. And then I went back to Young Life when I was – like 17, I think, and started going kind of religiously again. And then ended up going to one of the little mini camps where we went to mm-hmm. like a barn or some random like camp for like the weekend. And then mm-hmm. I ended up going to Malibu. So I I went to Malibu oh. once and um really got like roped into like I was like, yeah, like young life's great. Yeah, <laughs> and after um, a camp experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was invested. And I I met a lot of girlfriends that like I really liked in, in that environment and um ended up volunteering in Young Life Capernaum for a little while um and was kind of involved in that. And then basically once I got to college, I went to a private Christian college. So obviously mm-hmm. young life is not really present there. And, mm-hmm. um, that's when I got assaulted the second time. And then that's when my deconstruction started. And so I kind of wow. tapped out of young life outside of high school. Um, I did not realize that that experience when I was 15 was an assault until I was 18 and basically had a conversation with my future rapist, um, about my experience. And he helped me understand that it was assault and became a support person for me. And then he turned around and raped me while I was unconscious. So, oh my God, woohoo. So that's like my context coming into it. I came from a very Christian environment, had always been raised in a Christian environment, 
I know a lot of kids that go to Young Life are not raised in Christian environments and they kind mm-hmm. of get sucked into it because of the advertising and the marketing and the way that it's presented to kids. And funny enough, even as a Christian, when I was like sold out on Jesus, like hardcore, we love Jesus, cool with Young Life. Mm-hmm. My mom was like kind of, well, what's why is Young Life different? Because like it was so much different than a youth group and she didn't really understand mm-hmm. the differences. And even as a Christian, I would explain it to her as, well, it's kind of this thing where it's just like a fun place to hang out and there's like secular music and like like there's like food and there's like games and hangouts and stuff. And then basically they sneak Jesus in at the end and he gets snuck in at the very end. And then people are like, oh, Jesus, cool. And then they kind of get like roped into coming back. And I even I, that was how I described it, not critically, right. like not not in a like this is bad and this is manipulative, but in like a You're like this yeah, is, this what is just like doing. what it is. Yeah. And my mom was like, "Cool." <laughs> and then it was just kind of like, "Okay." And so, yeah. obviously, as an adult, I see it a lot differently. But um, that's my context, ab- abuse wise. Do you want to give a little bit of your background? Yeah, um, I mean, so as for getting involved with Young Life. I wasn't involved as a student. I had a very like fundamental Christian, evangelical Christian, like um, upbringing. Pretty much every environment I was in was like that, except for I was a theater kid. So I did get some like exposure, you know, if you want to say like, you know, as I was growing up. But um, when I was an adult, that was when I'd heard about Young Life. I was actually in Bible college and I had heard some people talking about it. So that was when it was first on my radar. And then um, I moved to Oregon and I uh, moved to a small town and we had a friend that lived out there and he was like, hey, we're going to be starting up Young Life. You would be great at it. You should definitely get involved. And so I had never really been like, yeah, I want to work in a, like a ministry type situation. Um, but definitely being like new to a community, not having any friends, you know, or connections other than the few people that I knew, uh, it definitely gave me that sense of belonging that I wasn't, you know, that I was needing. I was married at the time already, but it's just moving to a new town is really hard. And obviously your partner's a big part of your life, but I have other parts of my life too. Like we, we both do. We've been married for over 10 years and we don't do everything together. And so I needed something with friends. I needed something that made me feel like a sense of purpose. And I, I didn't know I needed that. But then when I attended a Young Life kind of like intro meeting, I was like, oh, I think this would be awesome to be a part of. Like I get to utilize my my fun loving personality and it's for God. Like, wow, that's the best. Like that was how I felt. So I kind of got hooked in pretty quickly. And then I'm someone who tends to like just invest my whole personality and being into things that I do. So I was like, young life, this is it. And um, so I volunteered for two years. And then I eventually went on staff in that same area. They had never had a staff person before. The area was only two years old. And um, I was like, I want to do this with all my time. Like I have to work full time and do this. I wish I could be fully involved. And um, basically the opportunity opened up for me to do it, you know, to have a paid position, which meant I had to fundraise a ton for my paycheck, um, which was not fun. Um, but yeah, um, and there, there's so much more I could speak into that, but I think we'll touch on it later. So I'll save that. But um, yeah, I was involved. You know, I, I went to summer camp with kids 
And I was like, wow, I want to do that. Like, I want to be up front on stage like these program characters are at summer camp. That was like, this is the dream for me. And I ended up getting the chance to do it, which I think gave me a lot of exposure, at least in that like Pacific Northwest area, because I was up front. There were many young life groups coming from all over the state and the area to, you know, be at camp. And so I got to meet a lot of people and, you know, you know, the culture of young life. It's like, if you're like a fun outgoing person, you're going to do great. And I am. So I did. (laughs) And, um, that was actually, I was actually at Malibu also when, and I was working there for a month and, um, due to just, situations in our life because my my husband had a full-time job he wasn't like a teacher like most young life staff people are most of them are men also so this is built for men and then their wives just get to come along too so I had to work at camp in Malibu by myself for four plus weeks uh, without my partner which was not fun Um, was really emotionally draining as it was. And we had just lost a friend earlier that year. So I was just not in a good place, like personally, like there was just a lot going on because I'd never had someone die that I knew very well that was young. Like that was very um, traumatic, honestly. And so um, the, the guy who ended up abusing me in the future, he had gone to the camp with his area. And so that was normal for you to meet other staff people and get to know them and, you know, become friends with them on social media. And, you know, that's all just a part of it. Like, and you trust each other. Like we're all in this for God. It's great. And so he right away was very like, Hey, when are you going to come out and work in this area? And it was like, a very desirable area. And I keep him vague because I don't think he deserves to speak for himself. And, uh, you know, if he wants to come out and be like, I'm that guy who was abusive, like, go, go <laughs> yeah, for it. Go guess, for it. <laughs> but you're not going to. Um, but I don't want people like talking to him and being like, what's your side of the story? Because honestly, like, he's fine. So anyways, you know, but he was in this desirable area and I was in a very rural, like hard to fund area. I didn't have a lot of support. It was draining. Like my job in young life was not great. Like I loved it. And at the time I felt like I was sacrificing for God and all this stuff, but like, it was not a great situation. Obviously there were good things that came from it, but this person was like, kind of giving me an opportunity. Like you could come work in my area. And even though we were peers, there still was that power dynamic of like, he had something to offer me. And he it's, it's so twisted how that happens because there was similar situation for me as he was like, Hey, like you're a person of color. Like you should join in these POC groups. And like, you deserve to be getting more support in your area. And like doing these, like propping up things to make me feel like good about myself. But then would just say like mean things like when I look back I'm like he was just so mean to me also like he would just be like that's stupid like when I would post something on Instagram or whatever and it's just it's hard to reflect on that right just like luring Um, you in and then yeah pushing you back down yes and then that was like the comments just started so for me it was um purely sexual harassment and like very uncomfortable like um, comments and things like that. It never got to a physical point. And that was something I had to come to terms with that. I'm like, that's still abuse though. Like it's emotional abuse, yeah. it's manipulation. And so basically 
you know, it started as little heart response on Instagram. Like I post a picture on my story and things like that, that were harmless. You know, they start right. very minimal. And I think I was just always just like, oh, thanks. Cause I'm like, what am I supposed to say? Like, that's, that's inappropriate when all he did was send a heart, you know, or something right. like that. But you then, you know, it would, <laughs> yes, of course. And so I was like, okay, like, I guess he's just a little flirty, whatever, but he's married and I was married. So I was kind of like, okay, obviously, like, this is not going anywhere, you know? And then at some point, the comments just got a little bit more direct and it definitely like came and went in waves. And so he would make comments about my body. And what happened is I started to lose weight and I, I came to a place in my life where I was really taking care of myself and I didn't, the weight loss wasn't me taking care of myself, but it did like, I don't know how to say, I just started exercising and boxing. Cause I really, I wanted to do it. And I was like, I want to do something for myself that makes me feel good. That makes me feel strong. And then the result of boxing five days a week was I just lost a significant amount of weight. Like, right. The, and so, the weight loss wasn't know, the goal. It was just kind of a side effect no, of, of yes. wanting to be active. Exactly. And so at some point when it started to show more, then he would say things like, you need to eat more. You're getting too skinny and things like that. And it was like, that was very like, it sounds not like not a big deal, but as you know, like body, body issues. And like, I don't, I don't think I ever had, have had an eating disorder, but I am a woman in this world. So I, you know, like have issues with my body and like try to be, yeah. try to love it for what it is and try not to worry about these beauty standards. But I was feeling great about myself. So it was a really twisted put down because it was more than just like about my looks. And I had said like, Hey, that's really inappropriate of you to say that to me. Like, I'm not okay with you telling me that. Like, I'm I'm working hard to take care of myself. And how dare you comment on my body? That's not for you to decide or talk about. And he was like, you're right. I'm so sorry that I crossed the line. I'm so sorry I did that. I won't, I'll never do something like that again. Something. And so it would be like these moments that made me question like what's really happening here. Um, but when you look at it over a span, it was over a span of two years and I would go through phases where I would just feel like an overwhelming sense of guilt because he would make these comments on my body and I would feel very uncomfortable and just not know what to say back and just be like, haha, okay, thanks. Or like, just like, or something like that. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And there were times where I kind of said, hey, and put him in his place. And then he would he did the thing of being like, I'm sorry. And then on another end was like, oh, my God, you think I'm flirting with you? Like, OK, like that. So then that made me feel really stupid and like, oh, my God, I'm reading into this. And then I felt this fear of like, am I having an affair? Like, am I am I doing something wrong? And I would feel this like overwhelming sense of guilt of like, what am I doing to my husband? Like. Like I'm, I'm hurting him. And again, it's that, that, um, that makes me emotional. Cause it's like, it had such a hold on me, but it's that same thing. Like you said, of like not being taught what consent is at all or understanding what, you know, your own bodily autonomy and what you deserve and, you know, what people should and shouldn't say to you, um, and what you're comfortable with. And so like that kept me from saying anything for so long. Cause I was like, if I'm wrong, like, 
I don't, you know, I don't know what this means. And, you know, this is my fault just as much because I keep talking to him. Like that was my thought in my head. And so it finally just gotten to a point where he made more of a sexual comment at me, not just like a, a critique or whatever his opinion. Um, and, and there were a number of other things, but you know, it was just this ongoing, just chipping away slowly. And so at one point, I think I posted something. This was all mostly through Instagram DMs, a little bit of texting, but mostly Instagram DMs. Um, and <sighs> I had posted a picture of myself and being like, I love this girl and this girl. And it was like me and just this transformation that I had been through physically. But I spoke on how it's like, this isn't just like weight loss. Like I, this has helped me personally, like in so many ways. And I think in some ways that that did give me the strength to finally be like, no, we're done. And he, um, he just said something about my picture, like something joking, you know, and I, I, I have gray hair. I grew up my natural gray hair. I made a post once saying like, Hey, I'm embracing my natural hair. And he was like, yeah, I saw your long ass post about your hair. So he would just make very like put down comments. And so then whatever this body transformation post was, he said something like that. And then I was like, well, I'm really proud of myself both before and after. And he was like, yeah, I'd hit that. And I was just like, (laughs) like what? And everything that he said was very like on the line where it couldn't be like, Oh, like it was always, Oh, you're just taking that the wrong way. But this was pretty specific. And so I, again, I said, this is like the fifth time probably that I'm like, you can't talk to me like that. You, that is completely crossing the line and I am not putting up with this anymore. You're not going to talk to me like that. And then he apologized. Oh, it, it didn't, I didn't, it didn't mean it that way. And I just didn't reply. And I took a few days and then totally like broke down. Um, and I went, geez, um, I went to my husband and I'm like, Hey, I don't know. I think I did something bad. Um, but I need to come clean to you. And so I like spilled everything. Let me take a breath. So I spilled everything. And then he's like, this guy is not treating you right. Like this guy, this guy is, he knows exactly what he's doing. And he's been saying all these things to you. And that's, you're not, you didn't do anything wrong. And I was just like, wow. So I think that was really um, special that that happened because I don't think that's always common. So shout out to Brad. Like, I love him so much. (laughs) Like, we've been through through so much in that and um, then deconstructing and all that stuff and trying to figure that out when we met, like, at church. Like, it's just – it's a lot to go through. So I'm really grateful that that's the person that I've, you know – made this commitment with. Um, and so anyways, that, that made me feel better. Like, okay, that's a, that's the most important thing. Like I could give a damn about young life at this point about my reputation. Like if I have you right. in my life, I'm going to be okay. And, um, so it'd been maybe a few days and then he, the guy sent me another message and he's like, so are you just going to ignore me now? And I was just like, he's not going to stop. Like it just yeah. clicked. And so, um, my husband was like, I think you need to report this. Like, I don't, what if he's doing it to other people? And I was like, 
I don't know. And then he, he, you know, he says this comment to me like, oh, so are you just going to ignore me now? And I'm like, you're right. He's not going to stop. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, not physical or it's not a big deal. It's like it always escalates from there. And this was bad enough as it was. So that was what pushed me to be like, okay, I have to report this. And um, yeah, I'll I'll pause there because that can open a whole other can of worms like moving forward. But that was that was my experience with just like that abusive relationship in young life. Yeah. And first of all, thank you for sharing and being so vulnerable because I I know how it feels to have conversations. And even if you've told your story of abuse so many times, have it hit you that one time where it just yeah. it hits you all over again. Um, and I think that that I think a few things. For one, props to your husband. Um, yeah. <laughs> because that, that's the right response. And yes. it's one of those things where abuse has only in the last maybe two or three years been talked about in a more holistic sense. And mm-hmm. pages like Me Too Young Life and pages like these submission-based uh, formats and these submission-based platforms that expose people um, masses of people to the diversity of abuse. Because I think that media representation primarily represents abuse as aggressive, blood is everywhere, rape. And that's mm-hmm. not always what abuse looks like. That's obvious. Abuse can look like that. But I think that when you come from a religious environment that has no consent education, there is yep. no um, abuse, like literacy and understanding what abuse can look like. And mm-hmm. on a flip, a flip side of the coin of that, you're also normally in an environment where so many evangelical American Christian churches are built on core principles of abuse and yeah. pastors have, you know, abuse scandals dating back to, you know, what, like 50, hundred years, whatever. So the and, beginning of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you've got, you've got all of these different things kind of working against you. And then mm-hmm. if you are, if you grow up in that bubble and the only exposure you have to abuse from the outside world is media, um, and media only You're thinking it as law and order SVU. Yes. Like, yes. I, yeah. And you're thinking even like physical abuse of thinking that physical abuse is only getting hit. And um, Mm -hmm. if you don't have a black eye, it's not physical abuse. And then emotional abuse and verbal abuse get completely taken out of the equation in media, um, as does like spiritual abuse and spiritual manipulation. And Mm -hmm. then sexual harassment is uh, normally boiled down to catcalling and Mm -hmm. sexual abuse and sexual assault is boiled down to rape. And so – I think it's so common for literally, I don't think I've ever met a survivor that just came to terms with their abuse right up front and felt like it was valid and like it was real and like it deserved attention and therapy and healing. I think almost every survivor that goes through any type of abuse, whether that is childhood abuse from parents, whether that is sexual Mm -hmm. abuse, like I literally, I've never met anyone that just like, it's like, yeah, I was abused and just like can come to terms with it like that. Like I yeah, like, I oh, have had so many – yeah, I've had so many situations in, with my healing journey of comparing it to other people's abuse and, and like trying to figure out if mine's bad enough to get healing and yeah. get therapy for or if I'm being dramatic. And one of the things that really changed my perspective on that was – for one, having outside people and outside sources who are looking at how this abuse and this um, trauma is impacting me 
and saying, Mm -hmm. hey, you didn't deserve to be treated that way because I think that you can get really in your head. And if you don't have that literacy and that education when it comes to consent and abuse already taught to you and you don't have that context, it can be really easy to just let your thoughts run wild. And all of a sudden it's like you're – you're you're lying. Like there were so many times that I um would talk to my partner at the time or my friends or my therapist in in the midst of like a sexual assault investigation where I would and we're also for context, this is a sexual assault investigation at a Christian college hmm. and would have this like my number one fear, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but my number one fear was that I would get to heaven. And God would tell me that I made it all up, that it didn't actually happen, and I ruined someone's life for no reason. Wow. And I, it, it was like a reoccurring dream. I would have nightmares about it. Like it, I would just wow. like I just thought inherently that I was a liar. And I had a therapist. I, I joined a sexual assault support group, and that like changed it for me because I had someone mm-hmm. who had science and who had brain scans and like psychology and like logic on their side. And mm-hmm. she sat there and said like why the hell would you be having seizures? Like you think that yeah. like your your body is reacting that way because you, you're that big of a liar? Like yeah. no, that's your body having a literal physical reaction to trauma. And I was kind mm-hmm. of like, okay, okay. Like maybe I'm not just like a horrible person. Maybe I'm not just a raging liar, sociopathic tendency mm-hmm. kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, the thing that she communicated to me is society doesn't determine what your trauma is. Like your body Mm. determines what was traumatic for you and your brain determines what was traumatic for you. And so even sometimes people's abuse experiences weren't super traumatic for them. Maybe they were able to kind of get over it quickly or whatever. That doesn't mean shit in terms of like Mm -hmm. people's personal experiences because it's your individual body, your individual nervous system, your your brain that is interpreting what is traumatic for you and how that's going to impact your life. And Mm -hmm. the fact that this was a peer and essentially like a coworker of yours, it, it speaks to like how fucked up our society is that like it has taught women specifically to be so quiet and complacent and like just sit there and shut up and don't make any noise and don't take up any space when Mm -hmm. you're in an environment where you're literally trying to do your job and you're having a coworker comment on whether or not you're thin enough, like, or you're not, or you're too thin or what it's like that alone is just like, uh, excuse me, like this is a workplace (laughs) environment. Like you can go and fuck right off. Like, no. (laughs) And it, it's, it's even more disgusting that the church and religious institutions don't have that literacy and that education built into their systems. They don't have accountability built into their mm-hmm. systems. And so you have mm-hmm. these things that just keep running rampant and you're, you have these little girls that grow up in churches and are taught to sit down and shut up. And then you have mm-hmm. those people who are, and obviously abuse can happen to any gender. I think in churches, yes. it, it primarily and dominantly affects women and um, mm-hmm. people who grew up in uh, female presenting bodies. And mm-hmm. so much of that, it, it, it you're just taught to shut up and not make a big deal out of things and not make a fuss. And then you have well, it's like these people. Your responsibility. Like it's- Yeah, because well, you're supposed to just be like the wife and the housemaker. Behavior. Yeah. 
<laughs> and even the the using theology to support that, where we go into purity mm-hmm. culture and we go into like the bullshit of uh, fucking shit, like the Mars Hill pastor that got called yeah. out for Ugh. all of his bullshit, and like the the women are just there to please, and like all of this stuff yep. that is. We're talking men who have massive, massive followings who feel mm-hmm. so enabled by their churches and by their institutions that they can call women penis homes and feel chilled doing so, that from a motherfucking pulpit. It's like, crazy. come again? It's wild. And now let's take a moment to chat about our wonderful sponsors for this week's episode. So finding the perfect gift for someone can be really tricky, especially as an adult. I've noticed that as I've grown up, I have a harder and harder time figuring out what to get people for birthdays and Christmases, et cetera, et cetera. Mainly because what do you get someone who has everything? My hand-drawn pictures don't really cut it anymore. Well, that's where Intention Wave comes in. Intention Wave is a company that allows you to transform the sound of your voice into a meaningful jewelry piece. When you visit their online store, you can record a voice message directly on their website, and they transform it into a unique sound wave frequency pattern and engrave it on the jewelry piece of your choice. This allows you to wear a meaningful sound on you or share it with a loved one so they can wear it on them. With your jewelry box, you will receive a unique QR code card that you scan whenever you want to listen to your recorded sound message. One of the things I love so much about these pieces is they are so incredibly thoughtful and intentional. We chat a lot about intentionality on Mindful Minds, and I can't think of anything more intentional than your loving words spoken into art. Intention Waves has a lot of products to choose from, including necklaces, keychains, rings, and more. It's also super easy to record your message and upload it to their website. From start to finish, recording my message and the checkout process included, it only took me about three minutes to have my order completed. So if you're looking for a thoughtful gift to give your partner, parent, friend, or loved one, especially with the holiday season rapidly approaching, Intention Wave is the gift for you. Check out their website at intentionwave.com to place your order today. And so with all that being said, yeah, I, I want to, uh, obviously, if you don't know what Young Life is, like, yeah, <laughs> you can maybe give a little context, but like, sure. I think most people that are probably clicking on this have some idea, but do you want to give yeah. just the slightest like debrief of what Young Life yes. is for people who don't know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Young Life's a Christian-based ministry, primarily I would say like evangelical Christianity, even though Young Life claims it's ecumenical, meaning like all denominations, Catholicism, whatever, like are a part of it, but it's, it. that's just, they say that, but that's not the case. Anyways, um, so it's a Christian-based ministry that primarily focuses on um, bringing Jesus to non-churched kids um it's it ranges from middle school high school to college age and then there's been some branches out of like focusing on teen moms or kids with disabilities as well and so essentially it's an outreach program that is very relatable that seems very welcoming that is the cool version of church because we play your music and um you know we we play games and we get edgy and things like that like more conservative churches typically don't like Young Life because it's like too left-leaning or whatever you want to call it. But it's really not. But that's the perception. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's an environment where kids get very connected. They have a lot of fun. They maybe feel like it's the only place they belong, um, especially if they're not finding any place, you know, in their school. And granted, I did this for a long time and was good at it. And I 
you know, I don't think most people are coming at it from a malicious place at all. But, right. you know, my, my, from there, I've realized like there's a bigger picture to this of like what's good or bad. So anyway, that's my commentary on it. But that's that's what Young Life is. And so it's expanded. You know, it started in Texas, a little small town in like the 40s. And now it's across the globe. They have major camps across the country, especially, but around the world. But the camps in the U.S. are like they're like resorts and they're really nice. Yeah. Um, and then the ministry, you know, outside of that is just a lot of adults hanging out with kids um specifically you know middle school or high school or college students and having uh, a relationship with them being a caring adult you know i'm trying to talk about it neutral not necessarily my thoughts on it so that that's an overview yeah. of what young life is yeah and with that context why is it important to differentiate between something like young life that is more approaching it from almost like a secular lens than something like a mega church like Hillsong or like Bethel. Mm. Like why is it important? Like what's the difference between those those two ministries? Um and how does cuz I think the manipulation is the manipulation that's used I think is very different mm-hmm. from like I th- a mega church versus young life. So what yeah. why is it important to like tell the difference there? Well, I think when you're going to a mega church, more or less, you know what you're getting involved with. And typically this could be for anyone. This could be for all ages. Um, and obviously there's manipulation tactics. There's false advertising, advertising, things like that. But um, Young Life very much tries to come across as a an accepting environment. One of the little tags Young Life will use is for every kid. And I think the difference is when kids, I mean, these are children for the most part that are a part of this. Um, They're going to this, maybe not knowing what it is as much. Ideally they should, but I don't think that's always happening or they're like, Oh yeah, it's some kind of church thing. I don't really know. But young life has always tried to differentiate itself from the church. It's not a church. Um, And I just think there's an extra level of manipulation and I guess trust that could come there. Um, and then it is this thing though. It's like, if you're not going along with what we want to do at some point, young life's not going to be for you. Um, I've, I did, I can speak for myself that I did try hard to not make it that environment when I was in it, but ultimately there were kids that didn't go that I've talked to in like, since I've been in young life and they're like, yeah, I just didn't really feel comfortable going to that. Um, but it definitely was like an in and out group. So there's a lot of manipulation with like peer pressure and things like that of like, oh, like all these kids are going to Young Life and you get to be a part of this family, you know, if you're in Young Life. So I guess that's my answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, I think this is like a really like <laughs> this connection might not make sense, but in my mind, and, and stay with me here, in my mind, it's like the we work of ministries. Because I think I that it that lures is. people. So WeWork is like um, – it's an organization that has been under a lot of fire in the last like few years. But basically like okay. it's one of those like work environments. It's, it's a work pod kind of uh, company okay. where basically they, they, they rent out these like work spaces. And it's like this – it's one of those companies where it's like we're a family. And like they have, there's all these perks and it kind of like lures people in with the shiny, oh, yeah. bright new things. Fun. And yeah. – 
Young Life to me gives off like very similar vibes where it's kind of like the we work mm-hmm. of ministries where it's just like you have this like kind of toxic kind of manipulative culture, but you don't know that there's that, especially if you're a child and you don't oh, have yeah. the same level of like uh, discernment and awareness and um, education on mm-hmm. these and even similar, like once again, this is, a, I get that this is a little bit of a stretch, but just kind of similar, like the multi-level marketing schemes where it's oh, like you're getting sure. lured in with the, with the shiny new things mm-hmm. and you don't have, you don't have all the information up front. And I think that mm-hmm. that obviously uh, extends to children. It also extends to their parents because there's a lot of people yes. where if you do, if you're a parent and you're not involved in a church and you're not a religious family, you might have zero idea what you're sending your kid to. And I think that to some extent, Young Life kind of banks on that. Like they bank on the fact that there are going to be some people who have no idea what they're getting into. And the format of the way that Young Life clubs even work, and a club is like the meeting, like when you you get together. Yeah, like the local Um, group. Yeah. And so like even the way that's formatted, they normally save the sermon kind of aspect of it for for the the very end. Where yeah. you get all of these fun things that happen before that, these group games, minute to win it games, and like the food and the songs. And and they don't like I've I think I've had one experience in your life where there was a worship song played and it was like the last night of Malibu. Wow. And it was like not yeah. like a wasn't like an actual like super religious like song. It was just kind of like general. It was like fucking amazing grace or something. Like it was like very right, like general, right. <laughs> like you know. Um and like we used to like we had someone come to our young life club our leader could play guitar and like she would play mm-hmm. like firework by Katy Perry and like different yeah. like non-religious songs and even if you go to Malibu they often have uh guest singers and artists yes. come in that don't really play Christian music Christian maybe they're music. Christian influenced yeah. artists but they don't have like it's not like they're inviting fucking Carrie Job and Hillsong United to right. come play at Young Life it's it's kind of like secular artists which some mm-hmm. of which are really good fucking singers and I still follow them to this day and they're incredibly talented <laughs> but like yeah. it's still like kind of one of those things where there's a lot of banking on the fact that you're kind of preying on the ignorance of kids Mm-hmm. And you're praying and and banking on the fact that they don't really know what they're getting into. And it's yeah. all coming from the perspective of like, once again, maybe not from a malicious point, but maybe from, well, we want these kids to not go to hell. And so we think yes. that we are doing this almost like, we'll, mal- we'll manipulate a little bit here, but we're doing right. it for this way greater good, good of saving these yeah. kids. Yeah. And I don't think that even... I don't think that there's the awareness that it's manipulation, to be honest. I think that that's kind no. of like the self-awareness is not there. But when you look at it, obviously, from a removed aspect outside of Christianity, like when I left Christianity, Young Life right. was not a part of my healing process of deconstructing. I didn't have to deconstruct shit about Young Life. Like I was bare, I was kind of involved. It wasn't a big part of my yeah. religious upbringing. I had to deconstruct leaving my church. But mm-hmm. once I deconstructed leaving my church, I kind of like reflected on Young Life and was just kind of like, Ooh, like that's yeah, a little that's fucking shady. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I saw that like coming into young life as an adult, especially not having, cause a, a lot of people, which this is also part of that is like, they went as a kid and then they became a student leader and then they became a volunteer leader and now they're on staff and now they've been a part of this institution for 15 years. So like so much of their life is wrapped around it. And that is the ideal kind of person 
that we're that's the pipeline in young life. And yeah. so even as an adult coming into it, there were certain things that I was like, oh, I feel like some people aren't fully going to understand this and they're going to think it's kind of weird. But I was like also bought in. But I yeah. even saw that, that I was like, oh, well, they just don't get what we're doing. And like, I think I was one of those people, though, that was always like trying to <laughs> – what's the word? Like, oh, it's different though. Like, and oh, I'm not going to be quite like those other Christians. Like I'm going to be the good one that helps them see the real Jesus and like not be hurt and all this stuff. And young life as a whole is like that. So like, it definitely puts like blinders, like a horse, you know, that it's like, you can't see, you can't be self-aware because your intention comes above it all. And well, it's for God. So obviously this is fine. So it's like, there's no opportunity to even question like, is this best for everyone? Is this best for these kids? Oh, and the other thing is like, oftentimes Young Life is associated with a local public school. Like you said, it wasn't at your Christian school. Mm -hmm. It was at the public school. school. And so this, the school's not endorsing it. I don't know if that's like the right terminology, but the school is allowing, you know, some kind of partnership. Like Young Life's not at any high school that didn't, or or middle school or college that didn't allow them to be a part of it. So that's an extra level of like a parent. Well, the school says it's fine. So yeah, just go. Um, That can just blur the lines. The lines are blurred often. Yes. So blurry. And I think, yeah, Additionally, Young Life is so based in that community aspect. And yeah. something that I think is missing from a lot of mega churches is the community. And Definitely. so I went to Young Life for the community because I grew up in a semi mega church. And that was the thing that I really felt was missing from a lot of my church mm-hmm. experiences was it was a lot of um, influx of kids, a lot of turnover where you have a lot of kids come in, maybe they're interested for a little while and then they tap out. Um, You have a lot of influx and you have a lot of turnover of staff and of volunteers. And Mm -hmm. with Young Life, my experience there, like from freshman to my senior year, because I went a tiny bit senior year, but kind of stopped. It was like, there was like a core group of kids that literally did it Mm -hmm. all of high school. And so mm-hmm. you you build these really deep relationships and you have these kids that are like fucking sold out on Young Life and mm-hmm. they are invested. And so I think mm-hmm. that that's another, um, I guess, if you're looking at it really cynically, another like marketing aspect to an yeah. extent where well, and those you're, kids you're kind want of- it. Like developmentally from middle school to college, you need that like socially to develop as a human. So it is like- it, it even though it's not intentionally, it's predatory, which is like, mm-hmm. uh, and, you're, and you're filling that you're filling that gap because it's a gap that yes. for one, like if you're coming from a church, so let's there's because there's kind of two groups. There's the group of kids that grew up in religion who are coming to Young Life. Maybe they had a friend recommend it, and they are coming from a church environment. So from mm-hmm. that, those group of kids, you're filling the gap of the community because a lot of mm-hmm. churches, a lot of bigger churches, maybe don't have the same close knit community. Yeah, and to be honest, a lot of the kids that I saw in Young Life were kids from mega church environments. There weren't a lot of kids from really small churches because those small churches often have that community. And then you have the other group. You have the kids that are not from churches and you have the kids Mm -hmm. that are maybe saw this being advertised at their public school. And you're also filling that gap of, um, 
it's a public school. And so there's kind of the assumption that, well, maybe these kids don't have great adult figures in their lives. Maybe they need right. a mentor. Maybe they need some positive influence. The the school that the public school that I was uh, going to or that I went to Young Life at was a school that was kind of known as being a school that like had a lot of issues and there was a lot of mm. like violence in the area. And like it was known as being kind of an area that was like needed more positive influences and emotional support for these kids. And so you have yeah. that gap being filled for the kind of like non-church going kids. And mm -hmm. so on both sides, you're filling a gap, um, mm -hmm. which I got to say, genius marketing, really, really shady from an ethical perspective. <laughs> yeah. I but genius marketing, like genuinely, like yeah. really, really, really genius marketing. It's just unethical as fuck. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it's hard because there definitely are like kids that are like young life really saved me in high school. Like it gave me yeah. something that I needed. And that's the part that's Kept like out of trouble and makes yeah. it. Yeah. And it makes it all the more like insidious because it's just like, I know you're trying to do something good. Like you genuinely think so, but this is not the way like you can't, you can't do that. But, um, you know, the saviorism really like fuels that <laughs> and like there's just so many it's so intersectional also when you get into it of like white saviorism and these things like oh we're gonna go to this troubled school and typically the people funding young life come from a very specific people group like yeah with money all these things so there's a lot, a lot of rich white men yes and that just like <laughs> that is even if um whatever like the intentions of a team are good too it's like and I guess I bring that up because a lot of times people are like what well, young life was so good and so I feel like I have to like put that asterisk that I'm like I understand that but the good doesn't outweigh like the harm the harm is way worse in my opinion than the good because that's even worse a, a child because as we've seen in our submissions at Me Too Young Life this has happened to students in Young Life and for you like you were a student even though it wasn't an adult in your case that was abused that abused you. It's still like, well, and the but it's student, still kids getting hurt. <laughs> the student that abused me as well had a history of abusing people, and after and he was I was, yeah, he was older. And after I was assaulted, I had other students, and you know how sometimes there are kind of like the semi leaders in Young Life that are still students, yeah. but they're kind of favored, and they're like kind mm -hmm. of like assistant leaders, but like unofficially. Yeah. Um, I had one of those people who was really involved in young life and still to this day is very young, involved in young life come to me and say like, oh yeah, he's done this to a lot of people. And like, yeah, basically like, and I got pissed cause I was like, why the hell did you not warn me? Like, why did you right. let me just like get involved? And where were the adults in the room that were saying, no, like, actually you can't come anymore. I'm sorry. Like, we love you as a person, but this isn't, this place needs to be safe and you're not able to do that. Like you have to make the choice as the adult. Yeah, and I never reported it to the leaders, but from the awareness of the other students knowing that this person was predatory, you they would knew. think that the leaders would know because like yeah. the students the students that knew, and I don't know how to do this without like explaining I, I can't go into depth about who it was and their relationship and all of that, but when I say that the person who informed me that this person that abused me had done it before is close with the young life leaders. I I can't say too much without it being so specific about who I'm talking about. That's okay. Yeah. Being close is an understatement. To this day, being close is an understatement. 
Like, yeah, they, I, I, I would be amazed if they didn't know amazed. Um, and with that all being said, I want us to end on the lawsuit. Yay. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to chat with us a little bit about what the lawsuit is? Obviously what you can tell us legally. Um, and then for the listeners, how can we support you and the survivors that are involved in that journey? How can we be supportive towards that? Sure. So, um, in short, the lawsuit, um, a group of us who had, we came together, we, Becca Wong, I have to give her recognition for this because she was a huge person in our group who spearheaded this. Um, and she connected with a lawyer who was working on a different kind of young life situation. Um, and then that's on public record. So I'll just say that much, but essentially these lawyers, looked at our our stories and said there is something here and so they filed a complaint with the EEOC which is the um equal employment opportunity commission which is a federal um commission that investigates uh discrimination and so a lot of it has to do with the civil rights movement even and there's more detail on that that can be looked up but um, any kind of gender-based harassment in a workplace, any type of um, gen- or well, sexual or racial or anything of the sort, um, those things can be investigated by the federal government. And um, so they ended up doing an investigation of Young Life, and it is ongoing. And Business Insider also picked up our story and posted about it last year so we kind of all like everything came out at once the the instagram account launched the article came out and the the charges were filed um and so that is an ongoing right now okay and so in terms of support is there any way that we can support you guys during that besides just following the account and continuing to like boost survivor stories Um, I mean, yeah, definitely, definitely. Please follow, please share. And I would say if you know people that are involved in young life, um, you know, allow them to, to get past the defensiveness and be willing to say, okay, what's going wrong? Because I think for me, I was someone who did it all the right way. I reported through all the right channels and even still I, I was not taken seriously. I was only, I was, um, there was spiritual bypassing, there was gaslighting, and it was just built in. Yeah, I would just say challenge challenge your friends who are involved with Young Life to be willing to risk something. Maybe it's stopping giving money to Young Life um, or asking Young Life, what are you doing about this? Because they have not made a public statement other than what's in the Business Insider article. Um, and so I just think that's like the biggest thing is like, of course, believe survivors share the story, but just be willing to have those hard conversations with people. And, um, you know, my hope is that people would stop supporting it. Um, just because like, it's not going to change, but I guess my biggest goal is like, I'm not going to change young life, but I want people to know what's happening. I want that, you know, exposure out there so that at least if you're involved, you know what you're a part of. And if that can stop some kids from being a part of it and any harm happening, then that's great Um, because that's ideally, you know, what I want is less people to be harmed. 
Yeah. I, and I think in terms of like the audience, like what you guys can do, obviously sharing because so many people, if you don't have social media, you don't follow these accounts, you might have zero idea that any of this is happening because it, Mm -hmm. it has broken into mainstream media a little bit, but not half Mm -hmm. as much as it should be. Um, and because young life really banks on this kind of these manipulative tactics and maybe not being as upfront that they are like an incredibly religious institute, that they have these homophobic backgrounds, that they don't have accountability systems in place for abuse, that they Mm -hmm. have histories of abuse and discrimination, like all these different things. Yeah. Because all of that is so masked and none of that is upfront. And additionally, it's not gaining quite as much mainstream attention like Mm -mm. for instance hillsong is getting fucking dragged through the The mud right now which thank the lord um (laughs) yeah (laughs) but like that's that's an institution that is like a lot of things lined up perfectly with the carl lentz out like that story breaking and then you have the documentary and then you have like the version of kind of like me to hillsong or do better hillsong that whole environment Mm -hmm. of people coming forward you have all these things lining up perfectly where it kind of broke into culture into society in mainstream media at a perfect time where it's actually getting talked about and young life hasn't quite gotten there yet where a lot of people still have no idea this is going on um Mm -hmm. and the people who once yeah i mean it's a hard thing because it's like me talking to people on a podcast If if their parents are like diehard like young life people, me being like you should reevaluate like that's not gonna do much. But no. I will say there have been people that have come forward that have been involved in young life for years that found out about the homophobia, found out about the abuse, and literally said yeah. we're stepping down from our staff positions, we're stepping down from donating, we're pulling our kids out of this. Like people are making decisions to separate, and so mm-hmm. exposing the the stories and like promoting and boosting survivors being honest and vulnerable about their experiences could actually really make a difference and that's the whole point of your page is like getting it out there Mm -hmm. and even for people who weren't involved in young life but have experienced abuse like my sharing of my own story and of different stories on me Too young life has helped those people as well and some of them are in church mm-hmm. contexts and some of them aren't and so i think there's real power in survivors coming forward and um just the voices coming together it does really empower people it does really make a difference and it gives people the opportunity to at least say i'm not going to deal with that anymore even if they never share their story they may that may save them from a really bad situation so i think that's really powerful yeah and i've said this briefly before on the podcast but i think society still has so far to go when it comes to survivors and respecting them and supporting them and people kind of society and culture has kind of deemed the 2018 me too movement as like we did it like we conquered abuse. And, no. <laughs> yeah. And like, Gosh. I think that the, I think that after that movement happened, it obviously opened up so many doors and so many channels to talk about abuse. It's why I reported, I, I watched yeah. the Larry Nassar trial and I watched wow. Allie Raisman talking about her story. And I was like, all right, mm-hmm. fuck it. I'm doing it too. Like mm-hmm. that like changed the trajectory of my life. However, yeah. I think it also, gave people the impression that we're done and we 
we've yeah. solved like the problem. And obviously no. I'm saying that very like generally, but like, I think it's still really evident and I've actually seen it specifically this week. Um, I'm going to, this, by the time this comes out, this will be old news, but I went to a Marcus Mumford concert. And for those of you mm-hmm. who don't know, Marcus Mumford just released his self-titled album. That is an album start to finish that details his experience with sexual abuse as a child. Oh and it gosh. is phenomenal. In my opinion, mm-hmm. one of the best, I, I would say the best uh, artistic depictions of abuse ever. Wow. Um, there is some musical representation for survivors, it's very little. We've got praying mm-hmm. by Kesha and then you've got like a few other songs. Like it's pretty limited. Mm-hmm. And this is a full album talking about abuse and trauma and what it's like to go to your parents and tell them that you were sexually abused, what it's like to bring that wow. into a r- relationship, a marriage, a partnership. And it's beautiful. And I got to see it live. Um, uh, what like last this this last Monday it was Saturday mm-hmm. October first when we're recording this and I got to see it this last Monday and I was so excited I was like this album has meant a lot to me like it's beautiful I like I revere this album and he played the album start to finish and on the oh. I believe eleventh track someone shouted out in a very quiet part of the song take it off and I was just like for me it was the most tangible representation of society not giving a fuck about survivors that I've ever seen in my entire life. Because you have someone bearing their absolute soul on a stage with some incredibly raw and honestly like disturbing songwriting that can be really uncomfortable to listen to because it's so raw and it's so honest. And you have someone being bearing their soul and a man that like it is very yeah. taboo for men to talk about sexual abuse and you have a man getting up on stage from a renowned band that is like a very popular band mm-hmm. and you have him sharing his story in a very blatant way by the way like this was the album right. is this not is metaphorical very clear <laughs> yeah no it's not metaphorical if you have ears you can you can put it together you can put two and two together and i was just sitting there and i literally had to leave the show early cuz i was just like wow fuck like Even when we're this blatant, even when we're this honest, you still don't give a fuck. And so I think us as a society have such a long way to go when it comes to supporting survivors and believing survivors and taking them seriously and dismantling the narratives that we were talking about at the very beginning. Um, And one of those ways that you can do it is just by fucking supporting survivors and listening to them and boosting them when they tell you what happened to them. And your page is one of many – Yeah, your page is one of many that provide a platform for people to do that. And Mm -hmm. us as a society have left survivors behind for so fucking long. And if you actually believe in equity and in equality and in consent and uh, in tackling misogyny and in all these things, like – fucking walk the talk. You know what I mean? Like yeah, please. start <laughs> showing up for survivors because we've, we've really gotten pushed to the side, even mm-hmm. in a movement like the Me Too movement that was mm-hmm. so massive. Survivors still just get shoved to the side on a daily basis. I think it just speaks to like the root and the systemic actual issue of that, like with patriarchy and like things like that, that it's like, 
you have to be willing to see that and you have to be willing to head like tackle that. And that's obviously a whole another podcast that we can't get into, but it we runs to get into it. it. Runs but yeah, it runs so deep. So it's not just a band aid of like, oh, good, you shared. Like, yes, that's important. That's always going to be so significant, but it's like that doesn't mean it's over yet, like you said. Yeah. Oh, man. But thank you for, for what, <laughs> yeah, thank you thank for, you. first of all, like sharing your story. And for being so vulnerable and so honest, but thank you for what you guys do with Me Too Young Life and providing people a platform to even if even if they they don't have it posted, just to get it off mm-hmm. their chest and have a platform mm-hmm. that is safe and a, a community that's safe to be honest and upfront. Mm-hmm. And I I love those like anonymous submissions, even when they're not posted, because sometimes posting mm-hmm. it might not feel like the route that you'd like to take. And just being able mm-hmm. to write it on paper and get it out in the open and not have that lingering and that shame and that darkness, mm-hmm. like just lingering in your heart, getting it out can just be it's huge. So healing. <laughs> so so thank you for for providing that. Of course, I'm, I'm, we are open for that at any time. So obviously we're not experts, we're not professionals, but we are other people who have experienced the same thing. So it helps for others to know they're not alone. And, you know, if you're listening and you're in an experience like that, you aren't alone, whether you share it or not, like it shouldn't have happened. And um, you deserve to be able to find joy and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And with that being said, <laughs> where can people find you? I yeah. want people to be able to um, know your tags and all that good stuff. Yeah. So um, on Instagram, we're at me too, young life, just all spelled out. And then my personal Instagram, um, I'm, I'm pretty vocal about it there also. And it's Watsy. My last name is Watts. So um, it's with three T's. W-A-T-T-T-S-I-E. And then I'm also um, on TikTok. I'm not super active, but I'm trying. And we are going to be trying to also move Me Too Young Life there as well, just to help with the reach. Um, And so we're not sure exactly what the format looks like, but I think by the time this episode comes out, that should be launched too. So just go to our Instagram. That's a really good hub to be able to find any other resources. Um, We have a lot where we can connect people. And also with our lawyers, if you are someone who has personally experienced gender-based harassment in young life, um, you may, you may want to speak with our lawyers. So that's always open as well. Amazing. Well, I will link all of that and I'll also link just some resources in general. I have some resources on my page for sexual assault and abuse in general that are um, hotlines and, you know, things like that, accounts to follow. There are a lot of wonderful accounts that have helped me with my healing um, and things that we talked about, about the feeling alone, feeling like you're not believed, feeling like a liar. Yeah. It's amazing once you like hop on social media and you see other people who have like talked about the fact that they feel that way. And then you see the comment mm-hmm. section. It's like, you know, whatever thousands of comments me of too. people being like, me too, me too. And it's like, yes. oh shit. Okay. Um, so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll include some of those resources as well. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. It was so yeah. nice to chat with you. Thank you. It was too. I feel like we could do this for a lot longer. So <laughs> I was like, oh, like this was um, I know. just really good and empowering. So I appreciate you giving a platform as well. Yeah, of course. 
Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please write us five stars on iTunes and or Spotify and leave us a review. You can also follow the blog on Instagram at Serafina blog and visit us online at serafinablog.com. Or if you want information on the podcast, you can visit us online at mindfulmindspod.com. You can also find us on TikTok at Mindful Minds Podcast and my personal TikTok, which is at F-I-N-A underscore underscore B-I-N-A, where I talk more about deconstruction content. And as always, to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath, and remember, you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. I will chat with you guys in two weeks.